Good morning. <laughs> Welcome. If this is your first time here, we're glad to have you. Welcome to Hope Church. My name is David Mathis. Um, I am one of the co-pastors here. Ruben Barbosa here uh, is going to be teaching the Spanish service next service. So if you know Spanish, uh, you're welcome to, to uh, stay all the way through. We have the same worship team. We'll be worshiping in Spanish. Um, God has led us as a church to be two languages, but one family, one hope in Jesus Christ. Um, just love what God is doing here this morning. Well, we are uh, continuing a journey through the book of Ephesians. I think this is week 14. Um, I don't know how many weeks it takes to go through a book. This is my first time as a pastor trying this. Uh, but we're getting close. We're, we're at the end of chapter 5, and there's only one more chapter after this. And as we're getting into now, it's, this is an incredible letter that God led uh, Paul to write to the church in Ephesus. And it's, it's just given us this incredible uh, strength and foundation of what the gospel is, God's intent towards us from the very beginning and our experience of God's grace and his love and, and how he's shaping this, his church, his body, um, and our part in that has, is incredible um, as you really dig into it. And I think um, I have enjoyed the journey so far. I hope you have too. Now we're getting into um, God's design in the body uh, for how our relationships work within, within the body of believers. How do we relate to each other? And this week, the first two relationships we're looking at is the relationship between a husband and wife. So marriage is the focus this morning. Now, if, if you aren't married or, or um, actually God has called some people to, to being single, that, that's a real and good thing. Paul talks about that. Um, but in the body, when we talk about marriage, it's for everybody. And we'll find that out in a little bit, um, that, that the, the topic of marriage includes all of us, um, so certainly, I, I hope you don't tune out as soon as you say, oh, this is about marriage. That's not me. Uh, please stay tuned <laughs> into what we're talking about this morning. I trust God's word uh, will speak to you. Oh, my wife is signaling to me that I've got extra earbuds. Hey, I can hear myself now. <laughs> so it happens when you do multiple things. Excuse me for one second. Okay, we're back. We keep it real here. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Well, it went, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what do, we, what do we call this message this morning? We're talking about marriage and just praying about, God, what should our focus be in this? And, and he led me finally to, to just, to call it a beautiful marriage. And why is that? Because there's so much that's not beautiful in our experience in marriage in the world today. Um. I looked up, I'm not going to go through specific statistics, but I looked up just the statistics of the family today and over the last 50 years. And really, the family's been broken since Adam and Eve fell, sin entered the world. The family has been broken ever since then. But in our own country, in our own experience in the last 50 years, it's just the brokenness, we... We're growing up in our families not knowing what it is to be in a whole family because marriage is under attack. Marriage is falling apart. It's a difficult thing. And, and when I talk to folks at work about marriage, the, the normal response is, is not really this idea that marriage is such a great thing. Some of them uh, 
they don't see anymore. Why would I want to be married? Because it's lost something. And there's something incredible about marriage that we're going to find out in here. There is truly beauty to be found in marriage. And um, when we see true beauty in marriage, it's, it's always going to be in the context of a marriage where the Lord is at work in that marriage. And we're going to understand better in a minute how that works in here. But, but there's people in my life that I look at and I say, I, I want my marriage with my wife to be like that. Uh, we have guests with us today. Excuse me for pointing you out, but, but Mel and Verna Graham's over here. Um, that's a couple. I want my marriage to model after them. They, th- this is a pastor, missionary, a man who is a mentor, uh, an example to me. Um, so glad to have you guys here this morning. Um, but when you see marriage that has true beauty in it, that is beauty that's there because of the Lord, look at that. Model that. Figure out how to bring that into your own life. Well, there is only one marriage that we can say uh, in the history of the world that was perfect. Um, it still didn't end well, but there's only one marriage that was perfect, and that was the marriage that God put together between Adam and Eve. Um, Let's take a look there just to, just to see God's design. We, I think we've really lost uh, the fullness of the glory of what marriage is um, in our own experience. And so just to start this off, let's go back um, and look in Genesis chapter 1, actually, uh, in the days of creation, um, starting in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plural. That's another good verse for... I seem to like to point out those verses that are good for the Trinity, um, the doctrine of the Trinity. I'll, I'll let you know every time we hit one. Um, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are created in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're like God, that that we represent God in different ways. And and there's a lot of ways you can look at how that's the truth. Um, Really, we can't know fully what that is. For, For us to know every way that we represent God in his likeness, in the image of God, uh, we would have to know everything about God, which is not possible, and we'd have to know everything about man before the fall, because that was when man perfectly represented the image of God. But it's interesting here that, that it's together, male and female, that we represent the image of God. And so there's something about us as a couple when God puts two people together, that in that is a better representation of the character and likeness of God. There's something there. Um, I don't know that I can fully, fully explain it, um, but certainly they were created in God's, in God's image. Um, and certainly now, uh, when we look at, at, at what 
has been going on in Ephesians as we're being brought into the likeness of Christ, that we're being built up into Christ, uh, Christ is the perfect image of God. And so it's like we are being brought back into what God's design was at the beginning to be an image bearer of God for his glory to be shown through us. Um, there, I'm getting on a rabbit trail there. All right, so that, that's, that's in chapter one. That's, that's just a, a very brief overview of day six. Chapter two in Genesis, for the most part, gets into detail, more detail of what happened in day six of creation. Um, so let's look there, more detail of how God created um, man and woman. And if we start in verse 18, it's the first time that we see God really calling something not good. Everything so far has been good, has been good, has been good. But he says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. In the old King James translation, it, it says, A help meet. And if we get the synonym uh, help mate out of that, it's, it's, the, it's a, a helper suitable. That's what meet in, in the old English, I guess, meant. Suitable is the translation for that word fit. But God... God says, I am going to make a helper that's fit for Adam. Now, Adam at that point really was looking for this, as we'll see. If we continue in verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, was that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he was ready. So I see all of these other animals you have created. And he had seen and named every single one. Um, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. The first surgery ever. And the rib, and perfectly done, I'm sure. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, try that, uh, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. Two becoming one. Perfectly. That was a marriage where there was no conflict. There were no bad days. There was no shame. That means there was no hiding. Perfectly united as one. I, I see an image of God in that. God, the Trinity. Three persons united perfectly as one, one God. Two people united perfectly as one. Can we wrap our minds around the fullness of what that was? Perfect unity in marriage as God had designed it. That's what marriage is. And then we get to chapter three. In the fall, in our sin, 
And in the latter part of chapter 3, uh, you get into the curses and the result and consequences of our sin. And, and he speaks to the snake, he speaks to the woman, God speaks to the, to the man. To the woman, he, he's, he speaks the consequences of our relationship, that unity broken. So let's look at that. Um, to the woman, he said in verse 16 of chapter 3, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, another aside, excuse me. The, the, this is interesting because right before that, he had, he had given that promise uh, that the snake would be crushed ultimately by the, the seed, the, the offspring of the woman. So it was through the, through the woman giving birth that God was going to save the world. And now you have, I think there's something um, just about God's plan and his grace that, that even in the midst of what is the curse, the pain of childbearing is what was the means that he was going to bring a savior into the world. Uh, but, then, but then we have two more things here that are, that are brokenness as a result of sin. First, it says, your desire shall be for your husband. Now, that doesn't mean as much as men wish it meant, it doesn't mean that she can't keep her hands off me, that her desire is for her husband. That, that's not our experience. That's not what it is. Um, actually, in the next chapter in verse 7, when, he's talk, when God's talking to Cain, he uses the same phrasing to talk about sin uh, when he tells Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It's a desire to control, a desire to master. You see how, how that's broken from what God had designed. God had designed this helpmate, perfectly fit for Adam, that, that fit into this perfect unity of two people becoming one. And now that helpmate is going to want in the flesh to control. And that, that's going to be our experience. That has been our experience from the beginning is, is to control. Uh, what is it on my, I didn't plan this, my, my big fat Greek wedding it says, the husband is the head, but the wife is the neck, and she turns the head whichever way. It's... <laughs> but that, that's just, that's, that, that's the reality of, of our experience, right? Now, the second part of the brokenness, it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's also broken, sinful experience. That the man, rather than being the, the, with the strength that God gave him in the purpose and role of perfect unity together with his helpmate. Rather than, than, than loving his wife with that strength, he would use it to control and, and to dominate and to rule and, and not act in love, but use his strength against his wife. And so now we see the essence of the conflict that has been there since the beginning of what God had created as a perfect unity now broken. Can we get our heads around that? And to some extent, as we dig into this, we have to set aside our 2019 progressive thinking. We have to reset everything. For a minute, just try to set aside all of that and just grasp what was God's original design and what is the brokenness that we experience according to what God has said in his word. So how do we work through this? 
That's the broken situation that we're in. For us to have a lasting marriage then is gonna have to work through conflict. Obviously, it's gonna need the Lord in our life to really endure through that. What is it, what's necessary to have a beautiful marriage or to have beauty in our marriage? That's what we're gonna get into this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I just lift up everyone here. I don't expect any of us haven't experienced in one way, either in our own lives or in people very close to us, the brokenness of divorce where marriage is torn apart. And God, there's so much hurt and lasting hurt and scars that result in that. And, and it doesn't just, God, it, it's not just in our, in our immediate family, but it affects a circle of people around us, including children. God, the family's broken because our marriages are broken. God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and show us how your grace speaks into our brokenness so that we can have the beauty of your design in our lives, even now. God, we're gonna know it fully one day, but even now, your word says that we can know the life that you have for us. So I pray that you'd open our eyes to your word, that our hearts would be receptive to what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so back into Ephesians. We're in chapter five. And really, I, I wanna look at a couple of the verses that we hit last week because there's, a, there's the root, really, of in, this, in the structure of this passage that we need to understand as we get into it. Um, in, in verse 18 of chapter five, if you remember from last week, it said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. And now everything that follows from that all the way until chapter six and verse nine is really is, is based on that. That in order for these behaviors relationally within the church to be true, it's necessary that the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. So we need to keep that in mind as we're going through this. Um, and then you have the end of the paragraph there that we covered last week was verse 21, which ended with, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that really is a connecting verse between the previous and the next paragraph because we go right into the subject of submitting to one another, the wife submitting, the husband submitting in different ways. So we need to keep that in mind too, that, that this, uh, it's necessary that we're submitting to one another and out of reverence for Christ. And that word is actually fear of Christ. Um, they, they translate it reverence to try to get the sense of it. It doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm terrified, um, but there's a real fear of Jesus Christ as Lord. And if, if we really consider what we've covered in Ephesians so far of, of who Christ is, uh, the name above all names, uh, the power above all powers, given as head of the church, we should take seriously uh, Jesus' direction in our lives. We're subject to him. He's our master. Um, so the first step that I have here, an important thing in having a beautiful marriage is spirit-filled fear of the Lord. If 
I don't have this, I'm not gonna have what it takes to do anything that follows. You have to have this. In our own marriage, I have loved watching as God has shaped me, has shaped my wife um, to be more like him. And, and we're not the same as we were a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. God is working on us. And it's given me that confidence that, that God is continuing to grow my wife. I don't have to grow my wife. God's taking care of that. Um, we need the power of God in our lives. All right. So let's read in this passage, starting in verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. When it's talking about the relationship in a marriage, it's tying it back to the relationship between Jesus and the church between Jesus and his body. How important is it the foundation of this book that we've been reading? Because of that, we have really dug into what it is to be the body of Christ and the love of God towards his church and the love of Christ towards his body and members of his body and, and what that is. God has given us marriage as an image of the love of Christ and the church. If we continue, it says, he quotes actually what we read in Genesis. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There is one true marriage that God has had in the works since the beginning. Our marriages, even the marriage between Adam and Eve, was not God's end game. There, there is a marriage that, that he is putting together between the body of Christ and his son, Jesus. That is the real marriage in God's eyes. What we have, just as we are image bearers of God, our marriages are image bearers of the eternal marriage, the eternal covenant between Christ and his church. So do you see how there's a whole new importance on the roles that we play in marriage? It's not about us now. Wives, do you see your role as being the church? When someone looks at your life, can they say, oh, what is that about? That doesn't match the culture around us. You say, that 
That's what the church is to Christ. That's how the church follows Christ. That's how the church loves Christ. I am modeling that. And the glory of the gospel from the church perspective is shown in your life. Husbands, are you laying down your lives for your wife like Christ did for his body? When people look at you and say, that doesn't look like the normal husband of a family, like the normal dad. What, what's up with that? You say, I, that's Jesus. In my life, I'm modeling Jesus' love for his church. Is the glory of the gospel shown in our marriage? How often do we even consider, is the glory of the gospel shown in my marriage? It's not about us. It's all about him. Even my marriage it's all about him. So I don't know if I put the, the, <laughs> the point for this one. The second thing to having a beautiful marriage is to recognize that it's a picture of the real thing. Let that sustain your efforts and unity in your marriage, that it, that it isn't even about you. Let that be the, be the guiding line for you to figure, it's, is, is this, what, are my actions in my marriage according to what God wants? Look at that goal. It's, is it a picture of the real thing? Now, the marriage between Christ and his church, is, it's not done yet. It's, it's still in process. And it's modeled after what God put together in Jewish marriage. And it, it's so cool because it, in Jewish marriages, there's a, a betrothal period, the the you know, the groom would go out and find a wife and he would, he would bring this, this price for the wife and he would pay for the wife uh, something on, on the order of the scale of the family that he was coming from. He would, he would make a payment for the wife and sometimes he would leave a, a token of value there and promise to come back and then he would leave. And it, technically that, that was for them to end at that point would be like divorce, but it was a betrothal period. She would stay in her father's house and he would go back and he would start building a place for them to live. And, and then there was this cool ceremony that she would not know when he was finally going to come back to get her. And, but then when it was time, there'd be this big procession and, and, and big party when he came to go pick up his bride to take her to the place that he had for her. That was God's design that that exists within Jewish culture because what is God doing here? He sent his son to go Get a bride. And the price paid was the life of Jesus. The blood of Jesus paid for his bride to free her from sin. And then he left behind a token. What is it? The Holy Spirit there for everyone who would believe is a seal upon their life, a guarantee uh, of their inheritance with him when he returns. And then he, what did he say? I go to prepare a place for you. That's Jesus going to prepare a place for his bride. So now that's where we're at now. The bride of Christ preparing herself and God's purpose of holiness. So everything that we've seen so far, building of the body on the foundation of Christ uh, and, and everything we saw in here of, of, of God's purpose to purify her, for us to be holy, holy and blameless before God has a purpose ultimately in God's purpose for the marriage of the Lamb. 
I don't have a lot of time, but I want to read it. Let's go to Revelation. The glory of the marriage of the Lamb, what we have to look forward to, Hope Church, as we consider what is the hope that we're looking forward to, here's, here's a, an important part of that. If you look with me in Revelation chapter 19, this is a vision that was given to John of the future, of what we're going to expect. And it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's what we're working towards, church. The readiness of his bride. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And what is the fine linen? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. As we walk in obedience to God, as we, as we follow him and, and walk in righteousness, as, as the Spirit of God is working in us right now, do you realize we're the bride preparing the clothes for the wedding day in righteousness. Can you imagine what it's going to be like on that day? If we, if we skip um, down to verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, his, his called Faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, the Lagos. Remember John 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Lagos. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's us, church. Can you imagine what it's going to be like on that day? When we stand seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. And he addresses us, his bride. It's going to be a multitude of people that he knows each one personally and deeply. That's the marriage that has meaning. That's what marriage is. If we lose that, our marriage is meaningless. Because that's what our marriage is meant to point to, is the marriage of the Lamb. So how does this work practically? We're broken. We have this brokenness in the relationship that's been there since the beginning. How do we have beauty in our marriage and the power of the Lord? The third, it is the third point, right? Third point is that we're going to be suffering for doing good. And let's go to, uh, let's go to 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 2.
Oops. There we go. First Peter chapter two. So here he says in verse 20, what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? I'm enduring for the punishment of sin. That's not much good. But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is in, in verse 20 of First Peter chapter 2. It says, for, for to this you have been called, suffering for doing good. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is going to be part of our experience in the world, in life, but also in marriage, that, that we are loving and submitting to someone who still has sin in their life. So in this, down in, in chapter three now, he says, likewise, wives, likewise, husbands. In the same manner that Christ uh, suffered for doing good, now us in, in our marriage, that is gonna be part of living out a beautiful marriage is accepting and looking to God now as Christ looked to the Father who judges um, ultimately for judging on our behalf, not, not ever Retaliating. So then it says, likewise, wives, in chapter 3, verse 1, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. If I can give one piece of advice, I should have had my wife come up here to be the one to speak to ladies because I'm not gonna be good at giving advice. So I'm just gonna give it straight out of the word of God here. The world around us says that for you to sustain your marriage, you need to sustain your looks. How many marriages are on the rocks that are at the end and, and the wife is going, he doesn't love me anymore? And so what she tries to do to, to sustain the marriage is to just pour more into what she looks like on the outside. Maybe, maybe there's a shallow husband and that's all it is. I can tell you, Good looks do not sustain marriage. If you, if you look, go in the aisle at the grocery store, you have the people there list, shown that, that put the most effort into looks and they have the most broken marriages. It's not gonna save your marriage to invest in what you look like, but invest instead in your beauty before God. I can tell you what it's saying here let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. As a man, for my wife to, to nag me for things that I need to do, that's, that, that has an opposite effect of, of good in my life, usually, unless God's really working on me and I humble myself. Men, humble yourself in, in that. 
But women, when you show in a quiet spirit a willingness and respect to follow, not only does that, does that make us go, oh my goodness, I, I, okay, where are we going? I, she's following me, now I gotta figure out where we're going. It puts the fear of God into us. But it's incredibly encouraging and empowering to have a wife who is a true helpmate. Men, likewise, in verse seven. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What is this, men? We, we got in the other one, in, in Ephesians, that we're supposed to be like Christ, laying our lives down. Honoring my wife as the weaker vessel, um, one way to look at that is laying my life down. She needs a red carpet to walk on. My life is her red carpet to walk on. She, she can walk on my life. Sometimes if you, if you have a wife who, who is not following the Lord or in grace at that moment, that may be her trampling on your life. But praise the Lord. Go back to, likewise, just as Christ was reviled for us and did not return, let your life be laid down for your wife. For her to walk upon. What is it to be a real man? What's the definition that the world gives us of a real man? I've got one here. Uh, comes straight out of Everybody Loves Raymond. Spineless, irresponsible, lazy body driven by instant gratification. Is that the world's definition of a man? Does that, that hit it pretty much? When we go on TV, what, what, is, what is the example of a man? Spineless, irresponsible, lazy body driven by instant gratification. You want to know what it is to be a real man? Look to Jesus. Jesus is every definition of what it is to be a real man. He had the courage to humble himself. Being God, he humbled himself to the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Is he into instant gratification? No. But there's a great joy set ahead of him. He's, he's seeing in the distance. He's actually stepping out and being responsible, taking hold of his responsibility to be a leader. Sometimes in, in your family, um, men, we'd, we'd like to, to step back and, and let leadership be taken by somebody else. And sometimes that leads to dysfunction within our family that we're not stepping up and owning what we need uh, to do, to be a leader of our family. Does that mean that I'm out ahead of my wife leading? No, she's my helpmate. Boy, I got to experience um, what it means for my wife to be a helpmate. Um, November 2017, uh, God led me to have the courage, men, to have the courage to humble myself and admit to my wife that for the 20 years of our marriage, I had struggled with pornography. That's God teaching me how to be a man. 
to humble myself and to take on what was the greatest fear in my life. That took the greatest amount of courage of any time in my life to confess that to my wife. And then to experience after that the joy of what it means to have a helpmate. It was hard for her. It was hard for me. Especially hard for her. But as we walked through that, we walked through that together. We continue to walk through it together. In, in those early times when we're going, we don't want this ever to be a part of our marriage again. We were together walking through it. Was I, was I still in the role of leader? Yes. Was she following me in, in that? Yes. But was either of us in front of the other? No, we were clinging on to each other and clinging on to Jesus. That's what unity in a marriage is. Figuring out those plans. Here, how can I, in any moment, that there might be any kind of a suggestion of a temptation, are there codes that I can text my wife to say, hey, this thing came up. Full transparency. Hey, there's this thing I'm struggling with. She's walking through that with me. Then she's texting me back. I'm praying for you. I love you. Walking through it together. The picture of what God wants. There's beauty in our marriage because of an awful brokenness that I brought in, but God has turned that into beauty. We are going to suffer for doing good, but we can look to Jesus who laid down his life for us. We can lay down our life for each other. All right, finally, at the end of chapter five in verse, in, in verse 33 of Ephesians, it says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let, his, let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a book on this verse, and a lot of great people have recommended it to me. I still haven't read it yet. It's called Love and Respect. And, and because I know that a lot of people that, that I respect have, have recommended it, I, I can recommend it myself. But I know the premise of the book. And here we have, let the, it says, let each of you love his wife. The husband love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's this cycle that, that when when... Either of you are not doing that. When the, when the wife is not showing respect to her husband, the husband in turn doesn't want to love his wife. And then when she's not receiving love from the husband, she doesn't want to respect a man like that. And it's this vicious cycle that just spirals downward. But then when one person says, no, I'm going to suffer for doing good. I am not receiving from this person what I need but I, I'm going to just hold on to God and I'm going to give respect when respect isn't deserved. I'm going to love sacrificially, lay down my life, all of my wants, everything that I want, I'm gonna lay that down even though I'm not getting any kind of respect back. Then it reverses the cycle. When you have a husband who's laying down his wife life for you, <laughs> then it's a lot easier to show respect, isn't it? When you have a wife who's supporting you and respecting you and, and encouraging you to lead, even if that's not 
in your DNA to be a leader. It is in who God has made you. And she can help you in that to be a leader. But boy, is that encouraging to a man to have a wife who's supporting him and helping him to lead and to fulfill that role. Ultimately, what roles? The role of Christ in his church. That's why. Hold on to that. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because it's an image of the gospel. It's an image of the glory of God. And don't forget that this is impossible without the power of God working in our marriage. It's all from him in in the power of God through his Holy Spirit working in our lives and it's all for him to be a display of the glory of an eternal marriage. This is just a momentary marriage. I'm gonna throw that word out there. Look it up because there's a book written by John Piper called This Momentary Marriage. It's on this very subject. It's free. Download the PDF. Um, Incredible book. But this marriage that we have now, it is momentary. It's a display of an eternal marriage. It's a short covenant based to, to display the glory of an eternal covenant between Christ and his body. You guys can go ahead and come on up. As we sing this next song, how do I, how do I deal with what is the brokenness that I bring into my marriage ultimately? We go to the foot of the cross. We go to Christ and we lay it all at his feet. In this next song, we're just gonna be doing that. We're just going to be worshiping Jesus. And think as, as, you're, as you're singing through this and worshiping God, what are the broken parts of the marriage? What are the things that we haven't been looking at in light of God's design for this relationship? Let's worship together, church. Father, Jesus, we fall at your feet. God, let this church be a place that worships you. God, let our lives worship you. Lord, we bring brokenness in here, an incredible amount of brokenness. God, you gave your life for us so that we could have life. Pray that you would show us how you would have us walk, how to navigate the messiness that is our lives so that we can have lives that glorify you, even this side of the marriage of the Lamb. Boy, we look forward to that day. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.